Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, the Lord is so good to us. So good to us. Six days of faith. What a privilege that we have together, together in the Word of God and to allow His Word to strengthen us and impart into us. Amen. And to celebrate together what God has done in the lives of the family of God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. In the light. In the light, there's more light. If you walk in the light and you keep looking in the light, you get more light on the situation. Amen. That's what Jesus was speaking of when he said, with the measure that you measure, it shall be measured to you again. If the eye is single, if the eye is focused on the light, there will be a greater light. Amen. With the measure that you measure, with the attention, that focus that you're giving to the word of God, that's the measure of light comprehension, understanding, the, uh, realization, revelation that we receive back. So the measure of focus that we give, there's a recompense. We're never going to give our focus to God and come up shorthanded. We're never, never going to give Him more time and come out with less. Amen. When the more time that we give, and not just time, but attention in that time. Because you can, you can give a long period of time and, not, and come out of it not knowing what you read, not knowing what you were thinking about. But if you'll learn to make your attention keep a spiritual focus and bring that hunger to what God is showing you, then we'll recognize that recompense in our life. Amen. Amen. He wants us to have an understanding. He wants us to have more light. I, I want to begin tonight uh, reading from a prophecy that came from Brother Hagen in 1974. It's often referred to as the Long, Longmont, Longmount Prophecy. This was, uh, and I, I don't want to read all of it, thank you very much, but I, I, I do want to read a portion of it because it pertains to what God has assigned for us this week. And I thank you for being here. Amen. I thank you for having a spiritual uh, antenna that is picking up on the importance of these meetings and trying to be in as many of them as you can so that you can receive the deposit that's coming forth by the Spirit of God. In, in this prophecy, um, one of the, the things I want to give a, a specific attention to, he said... The, by the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord said, I'm, coming, uh, I'm not coming for a church, the body of Christ that is weak, emaciated, sickly, and underground. I'm coming for the spiritual giant that is alive and living and working the works of God. So do not be fearful, nor cast thy glance around about and become a scant, but look ye up unto him, for he is the head of the church." And through the church, the head will manifest himself. 
And men are the hands of the Lord, and the hands are in the body. And he shall stretch forth his hands to heal the sick, that signs and wonders shall be wrought in the name of the holy child Jesus. And two things, say two things, two things shall shortly be made manifest unto the real people of God. I think you're here tonight. Amen. Two things shall shortly be made manifest unto the real people of God. One is further light and teaching and revelation in the area and realm of healing. Physical healing, divine healing. That will be the key that will unlock the chain that has bound so many and they will never more be the same. And then, here's number two, then there shall come revelation, further light according to the word concerning the miraculous and the part that faith does play. So healing and further light on the miraculous and the part that faith plays in the miraculous. For faith is like the fuse that ignites the dynamite. And when the explosion goes off, all can hear and see. But there was a fuse that had to be lit, and faith is the fuse. So two times that emphasis, faith is a fuse that ignites the dynamite. There was a fuse that had to be lit, and faith is the fuse. And you shall be able to stand and take a blackboard like a teacher teaching mathematics and write out the equation and come up with the right answer. And any man or woman, boy or girl, standing or seated in that congregation will be able to take that equation and translate it into the spiritual realm and their faith will ignite the power of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they'll have an explosion in their home and in their community and in their church and it will be popping here and popping there. It will be popping here and popping there. It will be popping here and popping there. So get ready for it. Hallelujah. Faith is the fuse. Faith is the fuse that ignites the power, that ignites the dynamite. And it will be like writing out an equation that brings us to the right answer. That's the faith equation. That's the faith equation. And if we learn the faith equation, we can all take whatever problem we have and sit down with that faith equation and come out with the right answer. And we can teach other people how to work the faith equation in their homes and in their families and in their marriages and in their physical health and in every area of their life. And they will be able to come up with the right answer and ignite the power of God. And that's what pastor has been teaching about striking the power and, and bringing that activation point to the power of God. And that was not coincidence that he has been teaching on that for the weeks preceding this event. Because that was the plan of God for us to... Now we've got the fuse. He's handing us to the, the key to how to put the fuse to the power. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Mark 11. Oh, Mark 11. Oh, and I want to remind us that no matter how many times we read Mark 11, it never loses its ability to bring fresh revelation to us. The Word of God is alive... And it is eternal. 
And I will remind you the definition of the word eternal. Eternal means never diminishing in power, never diminishing in value. So eternal life, although we usually think of eternal as, as never ending, the definition of eternal means never diminishing in power, never diminishing in value. So the blood is eternal. It is just as valuable today as it was the day it was poured out of the veins of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it has just as much cleansing power and saving power. It has never diminished in power. Amen? The Word is another thing that is referred to as eternal. Eternal. The eternal Word. No matter how many times you access 1 Peter 2.24, if every person on the face of the planet logged in and, 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 and activated the power in 1 Peter 2.24, it's not going to bring a power shortage to 1 Peter 2.24 because it never diminishes in power. No matter how many people are activating that word, no matter how many times you've activated that word, there's still as much power in 1 Peter 2.24 or Philippians 4.13 or uh, uh, Mark 11 as it was the day it was uttered forth from God's lips, amen, or inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mark 11, let's look at verses uh, 22 through 24. Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Some translations, I know my center column reference says, Have the faith of God. Uh, one translation indicates operate the faith of God or use the faith of God. And the fact that Jesus goes on to describe how to operate it is an indication that this is the intent of this phrase. Not just trust in God or have faith that God is God, that God is the creator. He's telling us how to operate the faith of God. So when he says, have the faith of God, use the faith of God, operate the faith of God, it is in response to what the disciples have remarked about what happened to the fig tree. They're seeing the results of Jesus' words on that tree, and Peter is shocked. Peter is astonished. Jesus wasn't astonished. He expected his words to affect that tree. But the disciples are shocked. And, and now Jesus is giving an in, insight into the fact that it's not just his ability to speak and cause a change in the situation, but they can speak. They can use the faith of God just like he used the faith of God. And, and so we can take from 23 and 24 that that is an appropriate intent of 22. Have the faith of God, use the faith of God, and then he begins to tell you exactly one of the most profound descriptions of how to operate the faith of God follows this statement. Amen. So verse 23 for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. He has just described line by line, step by step, all of the major components in the operation of the God kind of faith. God's very own faith works this way. 
that whosoever shall say, there's a command that's being given to a situation, to a circumstance, to an inanimate object even. There's a command given to a natural situation. And in that command, there's faith backing the command. He said, whosoever shall say to this mountain, he spoke to a tree the previous day. He said, whosoever shall say to this mountain, to this tree, to this situation, and not doubt in his heart, but believe, not just believe in in certain aspects, but believe that what he said will come to pass. He will have whatsoever he says. So you could actually recognize that Jesus is telling us this is how faith works when you're working all of these elements in place correctly. But if you've been walking by faith any length of time, you know that when you say... For you to make sure and maintain what you... And hold fast to that declaration of faith. That takes practice. Right? You know that there are times that you've got to cast down imaginations. And you've got to take every thought captive. And you've got to bring that thought into subjection to the obedience to Christ. And you've got to uh, maintain uh, your joy and guard your peace. And there are, are, are operations of walking in the Spirit that help me maintain that faith in what I spoke because Jesus spoke it and walked away and his faith was maintaining the work on that situation while he went on to take care of the other details that he was dealing with the previous day. But he believed that what he said came to pass and he had what he said. And then he says in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So he is saying that faith operates by believing and speaking, and you can also use it in prayer. So praying is not limited... Faith is not limited to praying. You can operate faith outside of the vehicle of prayer. Faith can, is in its operation a declaration. It is a believing with the heart and a declaring with the mouth. But you can use it in prayer. It will work in the vehicle of prayer. Amen? And so we recognize that we have a saying application of faith and we have a praying application of faith. There are some things that I don't need to talk to God about it. I need to speak to it. There's a saying. I'm speaking. There are some things that, that don't need me to go to God and get God to do anything. But God has already put the authority in my heart and in my mouth by placing his word in, in my heart and in my mouth. And that I can speak to the situation and God is going to cause that system of his faith to go into operation because I'm authorized to use his faith. So I want us to look in, in the times that I'm going to be with us in the saying application of faith and the praying application. And tonight I'm going to specify that first part, the saying application of faith. So this speaking is something that is contrary 
to the natural way, human way that we tend to do things. And we've got to become skilled in the speaking. We've got to give an emphasis to learn how to call those things that be not as though they were. And we've got to recognize that it is not an element, it's not a part of faith that I can, I can diminish or leave off or skip and say, well, I'm believing. I'm believing. But if we were to press rewind and find out how many times you've been speaking what you're believing, is it going to equal what you say you're believing? Is your speaking in the same measure as you're believing? Because like Pastor said in last night's teaching, and I think he mentioned it on Sunday as well, the Lord spoke to Charles Capps. Charles Capps said, Lord, why isn't it happening for me the way it used to happen? Why aren't things moving as quickly as they were moving before? It seems like things have slowed down. And he said, confession is to faith like thrust to an airplane engine. Confession is the force that is giving the thrust to the movement. It's like saying confession is like the accelerator pedal on your vehicle. If you're sitting out in, in, in the street and you've got it just barely in, you've got it in park and you're really not putting any pressure on the accelerator, it might start moving a little bit. You might get about, you know, a, a mile or two going. You might get a little two miles per hour, three miles per hour. You can put just a little tiny bit of pressure on that accelerator and you might move it on up to five miles per hour. But if you want to get moving on down the street, you're going to have to put pressure on the accelerator. And so if you say you're believing, but you're not speaking, you're not in the operation of faith without the speaking. So it is such an important part that I remember Brother Hagin said in 1954 that the Lord spoke to him. He was in the church and um, he had been in the sanctuary reading through uh, Mark. He read all the way through the whole book of Mark and he was actually at the end just sitting back thinking about the Great Commission, you know, right there in Mark chapter 16. And he said, as I was sitting there contemplating about the Great Commission, the Lord said, did you notice that pertaining or, or pertaining to the believer that in Mark chapter 11, I said three times speak and one time believe. And, and Brother Hagin said, Lord, I've never seen that before. I didn't know that. And he said, so I was right there in chapter 16. So I just pushed it back there to Mark chapter 11 and I began to read. And if you've ever heard Brother Hagin, how many of you ever heard Brother Hagin tell the story? And he says, he, he holds up his hands and he starts counting them off. And he says, you know, that first one is Jesus saying, verily I say. So that's not pertaining to the believer. So he doesn't count that one. Whosoever shall say, and he holds up one finger, unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. That's one time believe. That those things which he saith, that's two times saying, shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. That's three times of the emphasis. In Jesus' teaching on the operation of faith, he emphasizes the speaking part of faith three times and the believing part once. 
And the Lord brought that to Brother Hagin's attention. Brother Hagin said, I'd read that multiple times and I had never, I mean, that was the scripture that he got out of the deathbed with. You know, that's what he got healed and, and raised up with. And he said, I'd never noticed that. That three parts speaking. And the Lord spoke to him then and he said, for the most part, my people are not missing it in the believing. They're missing it in the speaking. They're not speaking. And then fast forward to the 1970s, the mid-1970s, when the Lord spoke to Charles Capps. And he said, my people are, are saying what they have. And I told them they could have what they say. And so throughout the years, the Lord has been reminding the body of Christ the importance of putting His Word in their mouth and for us to become skilled in faith to the point that we can have this Mark 11, 23 result. This is a skilled result. Amen. This is a skilled result. This is someone who knows how to speak to the situation and maintain their confession of faith and cast down those imaginations. This is someone who knows how to, to, that, to speak words knowing that my words have power. Amen. When it says that they believe that those things which they say shall come to pass, that's not when you're in prayer. That's all the time. Your words have power all the time. Leroy Thompson was standing at the cash register and the man in front of him was buying a six-pack of beer. And, and they, they rang it up and he paid the cashier and he turns to, to Brother Leroy and he said, money's really going, isn't it? Money goes. And Brother Leroy said, I just kind of went, hmm, yeah, uh-huh, and just kind of uh, shook my head and laughed. And, and as he walked out of the store that day, the Lord said, no, money cometh. But what he was correcting him on was he agreed with that man's confession that money really goes. Money really goes, doesn't it? And he kind of agreed with it. Yeah, uh-huh. But as he was walking out, the Holy Spirit brings to his understanding, that's not what I want you saying about your, your money. That's not what I need you to be saying about kingdom money. I need you to be saying money cometh. It was about what he was saying. If you train yourself to believe what you speak, that's a discipline that causes your faith to be effective. If you use words in a way that, are, that is loose, if you use your words and, and people can, can get this idea that it's being, um, uh, it, it's, it's nitpicking. Legalistic, thank you. They can think, well, that's just legalistic. I can't say anything anymore, and I can't, you know, they might have been used to joking with words, saying they don't mean like they would look at a dog and they would say, look at that, look at that big dog and it's a little chihuahua, or, or look at that little puppy and it's a big St. Bernard, or they would say things like, that tickles me to death, it costs me an arm and a leg. And those are, are phrases that will muddy the water of your spirit. They will dumb down your spirit because your spirit is designed to 
produce. Your spirit is an engine like the motor of a vehicle. It, it feeds on the word just like the motor in my, in my car feeds on fuel called gasoline. I put the fuel in and it produces. It goes through the combustion chamber and it comes out as force. And it, it propels my vehicle. The word goes into the spirit and it goes through a combustion in my spirit and it comes out as faith. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It is a fuel to the, the propelling of my life. It is a fuel. So faith, it, it begins with the word. You can't get saved without hearing the word that produces a believing power that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. That believing power originates. It's in the word. You can't get water out of a bucket if there's not water in the bucket. You can't get faith out of the word if there's not already faith in it. There's faith in the word. And if you'll put the word in your heart, it will go through the combustion chambers of your spirit man and it will produce a force called faith. But when that faith is present in the heart, it's not intended to just reside in the heart. It's intended to be released with the mouth. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 13, first of all. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 says, We, having the same spirit of faith, we have this same spirit born-again spirit, this alive spirit, this flow of faith, we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. So if we're believing, believing is not the end of the operation of faith. It says that faith starts with believing, but it continues with speaking. I believe, therefore, have I spoken. I believe, therefore, have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So that's why we've got to train ourselves to believe and to speak in line with what we believe. And not to use our words loosely, not to use our words in an undisciplined manner, to say things we don't mean, even in a way that is, that is joking. Because your spirit doesn't know the difference between what you're trying to bring to pass, what you're trying to operate faith for, and what you're just being nonchalant about. So we've got to recognize words have power. I will give an account for every word that I speak. And because words are not just communication. Do you know, if you go to the law of first mention, you know what the law of first mention is in Bible study, is the first time you see it mentioned in the Bible, it sets the precedent for how it is to be interpreted throughout the scripture. The first mention of the use of words is to create. Before God, you know, God didn't communicate first. He created first. He organized second. He created it and then he, he began to set things in order, how it would be. So he, he ordered things, just like we are to frame our worlds by the word of God. 
God framed things. He set things in place. He blessed before He communicated. So words should not first and foremost be communication to us. They should be, this is how I am creating the will of God, how I'm bringing into manifestation the will of God because the law of first mention dictates to me how words are to be used primarily for creating, creating what God wills, creating what God wants. So we have the spirit of faith and the spirit of faith believes, but believing is not the end. We believe and speak. So the speaking needs to come from the heart that is full of faith. And this is where many times people miss it in the faith process because they just think it's the speaking. But notice, we're speaking what we believe. And so the, the aspect of speaking has a twofold part. When you first start declaring certain things from the Word of God, your faith may not be full about those things yet. And so you've got to declare them for the purpose of putting it in your heart, depositing it in your heart. Psalm 45.1 says that my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 3, I think it is, says that you can write it upon the tables of your heart. Is it chapter 3, chapter 4? Write it upon the tables of your heart. So with my tongue, I can write upon the tablet of my heart. With my tongue, I can deposit in my heart. Do you want to see another example of that? Let's look at Romans chapter 10. You can see this precedent uh, listed here as well because when you begin to look here in Romans chapter 10, and I think I want to start with verse 8. But what saith it, the word is near you, even in your mouth. This is scripture, right? So the scripture has given us an order. It says the word is in our mouth and in our heart. So it places the word in our mouth first. The, The word in the mouth helps me to put the word in my heart. The word is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We we can find the new birth process, but we shouldn't limit the new birth process to verse 9. That's, that's an equation. You can confess with your mouth that by His stripes you are healed and believe in your heart that Jesus has purchased your healing and receive healing in your body. You can confess with your mouth that you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ and believe in your heart that you are the seed of Abraham because you are Christ's. Amen? And you shall receive your inheritance. So any of, of any of the things that pertain to us or belong to us by faith, we use the believing, the confessing of our mouth and the believing of our heart to bring them into manifestation. It's not just limited to the new birth. 
Amen? The word saved is, is a word that means rescue, restoration, heal, healing, wholeness. It, it is the word soteria, so it's not limited. The word definition is not limited to the new birth. Why, why do we want to limit it to the new birth? Praise God that that is how we receive the new birth, how we receive eternal life. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Notice I'm confessing something specific, that Jesus is Lord, and I'm believing something specific, that God raised Jesus from the dead. You know, Kathleen and I used to go to a place called Kmat, and every Sunday we would get done with worship here, and we would drive down to Kansas City, Kansas, and came out was a drug rehab center that was there in, uh, in Kansas City. What was the name of the street? Quindaro. And yeah. And, and so uh, we went down there and, you know, we, we, it was one of my first opportunities to really, you know, share the message of salvation and, and help people receive Jesus as Lord. And, you know, the first three weeks... Every week, I mean, I would give the altar call and they would all get out of their seats and come down to receive Jesus as Lord. And then the second week, the same people came out back out of their seats and came down to give their life to Jesus. And the, about the third week when they, the same people came back the third week, I thought, Lord, I'm missing it somewhere because they, they got saved three weeks ago. Why are they getting saved three times, you know? And the Lord said, it's because you're giving an altar call wrong. Because what I was saying was, Come down here and Jesus will forgive you of your sins and, and he will wash you and he will cleanse you. And the Lord took me to this scripture. He said, they need to be believing that I'm Lord. Uh, they need to be believing that I raised Jesus from the dead and confessing that Jesus is Lord. Because that, they, they, were, they were wanting forgiveness. They were wanting a change. But they won't get the change without a lordship change. As long as cocaine was still their Lord, Jesus wasn't. As long as the, the, the opioids were still their Lord, Jesus wasn't. The alcohol was their Lord. They needed to relinquish who was Lord and give Jesus the place of Lordship by declaring with their mouth and then believing that God had raised Jesus from the dead. Why is that important? Well... Because if we want to be brought out of spiritual death, we have to believe because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's how I can be brought out of spiritual death and into new life. So it's, it was specific what they needed to believe and specific what they needed to say. And I was having an altar call about forgiveness, but not helping them make a change in their life. So when he's giving us this specific... It, it is not just for the new birth. It is for everything we are confessing and believing. That I confess and I believe in line with what I'm confessing. And I'm confessing specifically and believing specifically. Verse 10, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Faith has a value. A transaction is being made. With the heart, man believes. If you don't believe, how can you receive it? If you don't believe Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sin, how can you receive forgiveness of sin? If you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, how can you be raised from spiritual death into new life? 
See, there's, faith has a transaction value. And it says, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, right standing with God. So the faith of what I believe needs to be present in the heart and with the mouth, confession is made or activation is made. The, 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 with the mouth, you swipe the debit card. With the mouth, you enter the PIN number of your debit card. Okay, with the, with the mouth, you're, it's, you've got the money in the bank of the heart, the faith in the bank of the heart, but you've got to make a transaction with the money. You can't just walk out of the store saying, I got the money in the bank. They're going to say, that's great, but I need you to make a transaction so that it comes into our, our bank. You can't walk out just because you got the money in the bank. We need a transaction with the receipt. And so that's going to require a PIN number, a cash transaction. It's going to require you to swipe your card and let us charge your card for it. And then there's a transfer of what's in the heart into the account. Do you see that? So without the confession, without the the working of the mouth in faith, there's no transaction point. There's no swiping of the card, entering of the debit number. With the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto healing, salvation, rescue. With the heart we believe, but with the mouth we activate what we're believing. We release what we're believing. We apply what we're believing. We make the transaction of what we're believing. So... If we say, I'm believing, and, and this is something that all of us, all of us can, can give a greater attention to because sometimes I think I'm believing until the Lord reminds me of how little I've said. It's like he's saying, you're believing? Because I'm listening. I know you've got it in your heart, but I haven't heard you say what I need to hear you say. Okay? It's like going to the door saying, I got the money in the bank. I got the faith in my heart. Lord, I believe you for it. Well, then let me hear you. I need, I need the transaction point. I need the verbal authorization. I need, I need the, the receipt showing that you believe, and that receipt is that verbal print that your voice of declaration. When you speak words of faith, there is a, an imprint in the spirit. And the devil can't fight it. The devil could come to God and say, it's not fair that you did this for her. And God says, hey, I got her faith receipt. It came out, her words came out with faith, and that faith is a proof that God is legal and just to do what you're believing for. Hallelujah. So believing and speaking, the heart believes, the mouth is speaking, faith is not done until I've said something. Faith is not complete. The equation of faith is not complete until the mouth has released. Let's look at Matthew 12. I quoted a portion of this, but I want to look at a different portion uh, in verse 34 specifically. Matthew 12, 34 Oh, generation of vipers, that's not you. That's them, not you. 
How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus has just given us a key of what operates between the heart and the mouth. The mouth is designed to bring out what's deposited in the heart. Notice it said abundance. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Abundance is your goal. Abundance is your assignment. If you don't have what you're believing for abundantly in your heart, stay with it until there's an abundance. Now I said there's that twofold operation. Your tongue can deposit. Your tongue can write into your heart the scripture, the word of God, the light of God. And so the, that first portion, that first operation of faith is causing faith to come in you. When you're putting yourself in a place of a, a development concerning healing or financial stability or faith for your family, salvation, whatever it is that you've gone to the scripture and you've found out it is the will of God for my life, then you begin taking those verses and depositing them in your heart. You're aiming for fullness. Now, I've shared this with you before, but I want to share it with you again because it bears repeating. There was a certain time in our life that we were believing for uh, finances and we pastor was talking about the house with the roaches and the roach bombs and all of that uh, great experience. Uh, but it was during that time that God dealt with us to turn off the TV for 40 days. And we turned the TV off and we only listened to preaching about our financial stability. And we didn't listen to worship music. We didn't listen to preaching about other subjects. We even put blankets over the TV and sent the kids out to play on the trampoline. We, we wanted their, we, we were setting this time aside for that focus. Remember with the measure of measure that you measure, it shall be measured to you again. With the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear, it will determine the light you receive back. We gave our time and our attention to the Word of God. I had babysitting kids. You remember my babysitting kids? I had babysitting kids, and so in the morning, I would go over my scriptures before they got there, and then I would put them all down for a nap, and I would go over these scriptures again. And so it took me about an hour to go over these scriptures. And so when I was first pulling these scriptures out, my heart was so empty that I felt like I was lying. I mean, I would get to Deuteronomy 28 and it would say, I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed in the field and I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the basket. And my head would say, you're a liar, liar, liar. You got, you got Carl Budden ham and Vienna sausages to eat. That's all. <laughs> lying, you're lying. It was my, yeah. Y2K, yeah. Y2K came in handy because we ate it for a month. We're like, we're not doing Y2K. Okay, so, so I was quoting these scriptures, and when I first started quoting these scriptures, the faith that came out of my heart, it was feather faith. It, it, would, it would like puff out and then just kind of float down to the floor. There was no force in my words. There was no belief because I was so convinced of my lack because it was all around me. It was so evident to all of my senses. 
And so I just stayed with the word and I would go to the word and I would put the word in my heart. I was writing it upon the table of my heart. I was depositing the word in my heart. And one day, it was, I didn't expect it. I didn't know it was going to happen. I opened my scriptures to the same verses I had been quoting all of those days. And I opened it up. And when I opened my mouth and I spoke this scripture, I surprised myself. I felt like Urkel for a moment. Did I say that? <laughs> what? Because when it came up out of my spirit, it came out of my spirit with such power. It wasn't increased volume of my voice it wasn't just me giving voice inflection to the words there was a spiritual imprint of faith in my words that didn't reside in my words prior if you would have asked me a week before if I was in faith I would have answered yes yeah I'm believing I'm in faith I'm believing God's going to increase us I'm believing but when those words came out of my mouth with, an, with, with faith in them, then I knew what believing was. I could recognize faith that I did not recognize before. I rec- and I didn't do anything in myself to make it happen. The Word did it. All I did was put the Word in me. That's all I did. I just put the Word in me. That's like Pastor Ron drove my car. And he's like, ooh. Yeah, because she will respond. (laughs) She will respond. You just put your foot in her just a little bit, and and I don't have any trouble getting on the highway. (laughs) She will respond. Right? Up until that day, I didn't know there was any power in my heart. But when I opened my mouth, there was power in my heart. And it got in my mouth. And all I did was put the word in. The word was the power. The word in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart. Do you see? There are some times, and I would have thought my heart was full of the word until I recognized the power in my words. And again, it's a, it's a spiritual recognition. It wasn't my, vo- my volume. It wasn't, it wasn't my voice inflection. I wasn't saying it like, you know, and I'm blessed going in, and I'm blessed in the city, and I'm blessed in the... No, I wasn't, I wasn't like inflection with it. It was, a, it was a supernatural faith that got up in my mouth, and I'm, I recognized something that I didn't have before. The Word did it. The Word did it. Were you going to say something? Forgive me, I got... I said the Word is the power of God. The Word is the power. Amen. So the Word, the Word has to have an abundance. Notice it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you know, if... um, Pressure is put on a sponge. What's in the sponge is going to come out of the sponge. Even if it's not what you want. And if you uh, get under pressure and unbelief comes out of your mouth. Or frustration comes out of your mouth. Or every time I get one step ahead, I get pushed two steps back. If that comes out of your mouth, don't, it, don't get under condemnation. 
recognize it and say, oh, that got in my heart somehow. I don't want that in my heart. So don't get under condemnation about it because we've all had situations and times that we have focused on the problem and focused on the problem and focused on the problem till we got abundantly full of the problem. But the evidence is what's in the mouth. If it's in your mouth, it's what's in your heart. And so you've, you're the only one. You, pastor can't lay hands on you and change what's in your heart. You have to purpose to let the Word of God be abundantly stored in the heart. That's a decision that only we can make. It says in verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. It didn't say saved and unsaved. It didn't say saved and unsaved. Holy and righteous. It's saying that what's in your heart is what's determining whether it's good or bad. Were, were all of the children of Israel the children of Israel? But they brought back an evil report. Ten of the twelve spies that went in brought back an evil report. God called it evil. And it was a report that was contrary to God's report. So they were, they were God's chosen people. They were of God's chosen people, but they had an evil report in their mouth. And that's what was in their heart. And so when he says we can bring forth good things, it's not God bringing it forth. I can bring forth good out of the good that I've deposited in my heart. I can bring forth healing out of 1 Peter 2, 24 that I've deposited in my heart. And I can apply it to my body. Amen? Amen. I can bring forth uh, peace out of the peace that I've deposited in my heart. I can bring forth joy out of the joy I've deposited in my heart. A good man out of the good treasure, what has been deposited, treasured in the heart, brings forth good things. So we can bring it forth. And then he says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, and that word idle, the Amplified says, uh, inoperative and non-working which goes back to believing that, you, that your words have power. Amen. Every idle, inoperative, non-working word will give an account, therefore. And then he says this, For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And, and then that goes right over. People just translate condemned as, as damnation. But it means to be pronounced or passed a verdict upon. So by your words you will be deemed right, and by your words you'll be justified or pronounced a verdict upon. So if for, some, for instance uh, someone is constantly saying, oh, that burns me up, oh, that burns me up, they're authorizing... And they're verbalizing and they're speaking words that are contrary to the Word of God. And again, I'm not being legalistic, but I'm giving an example that is a natural example. Um, 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If If we train ourselves to have to explain something in the worst negative way to try to, uh, to, to emphasize, then often what we end up doing is opening a door to something that we don't want. Brother Charles Capps would use the example of that man who would sit and look and say, one of those days that water heater is going to blow up. That water heater is going to blow up. We've got to fix this water heater. It's going to blow up. Got to fix this water heater. It's going to blow up. He said, then when the water heater blows up and the angel is standing there saying, let her burn. Because we've, he, what has he been saying? The water heater is going to blow up. The water heater is going to blow up. Why tell the children, don't play in the road. You'll get hit by a car. Why do you have to say you'll get hit by a car? Why don't you just say the road's not meant for you to play in? Don't play in the road because that's where the cars are. And I don't want you in the road because that's not a safe place for you to be. So don't play in the road. Why do, we ha- why do people have to say, don't play in the road, you'll get hit by a car? Why would you even authorize that? Amen. Do we believe that we have what we say? Yes. Then let's say, no evil shall befall me and no plague shall come near my dwelling. And you're not going to play in the road because roads aren't meant for children to play in. They weren't, they're not playgrounds. Right. The backyard is your playground. Stay inside the yard. The road is not meant for you. Right? So the, the words that we say will be justified by them. Remember that faith imprint? God needs that faith imprint receipt so that we're justified. I'm justified because I, I believed with my heart and I declared with my mouth. And because of that, in both places, I have a receipt of faith that God can legally give into my life and the enemy has no argument for it. The enemy can't say, it's unlawful for her to have that. It's unlawful for you to do that for them. And God says, no, I have a faith transaction. By her words, she has said that no evil shall befall her and no plague shall come near her dwelling. By her words, she has said that every tongue that shall rise against her in judgment, she will prove it to be wrong. By her words, she has said she's the head and not the tail above and not beneath. By her words, and so that's, she's justified in receiving this protection. She's justified in receiving this provision because there's a faith transaction and by her words. But on the other hand, if someone says, uh, it, if anybody's going to get laid off, it's going to get me. It's going to be me. If anybody, if anybody gets cut, it's going to be me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. If it, too much month at the end of I mean, there are all kinds of weird things, you know, that get stuck in people's mouths. And the enemy brings it. And, and if you go to God and say, God, why did this happen? He was saying, you didn't do anything. You, what you said, what you said authorized that. And so you can't, you can't pull over here a faith transaction. What they have on record is a different transaction. They have a, instead of a faith deposit, they have a debit over here in the negative that authorized the enemy. Did, Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Psalm 91. Have you ever looked at Psalm 91? It's in three different voices. 
The beginning says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and He is my fortress. That's what I, my faith transaction. I say He is my refuge, He's my fortress. And then our high priest steps in, because you have made the Lord, which is my habitation. Because you've said this, there shall no evil befall you, no plague shall come near your dwelling. He goes through this whole list of what's... And then God steps in and says, because you have set your love on me. See, three different voices, three different speakers in that one psalm, but it's the operation of the high priest connecting us to the covenant of God by what we say. I say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, The Lord has said, He will never leave us and never forsake us, so that you may boldly say. He has said something, so that you may boldly say. He has said, so that you may boldly say. So the, the intent of God with Jesus being the high priest of our confession is that we would speak things that he can receive and operate with. If we speak words that set him at a disadvantage, he has to step back and say, I can't, I can't bring that to pass. That is against my father's word. That's against the covenant. You're speaking against the covenant and you're limiting me. God said it this way in Malachi. He said, your words are stout against me because you have said it's vain to serve God. He, they tied his hands. He said that word stout means your words have tied my hands because you say it's vain to serve God. So the words we speak are either going to, to authorize Jesus, our high priest, to implement the covenant benefits and the covenant protection and the covenant rights or limit what he can do. So when he says, by your words you shall be justified... It gets better. Y'all just go ahead and smile. Praise the Lord. But we got to touch on that because too many times people are wondering, why is this happening to me? And all God would need to do is to press rewind and replay. And we, oh, I did say that. Have mercy. Or I didn't say anything. When that came, I didn't say anything. There are some things you've got to resist with words. Jesus opened up his mouth and said, no, it is written. It is written, it is written. He resisted with words and he used his words to provide that shield of faith. Which brings us to Proverbs 18, 21. Hallelujah. And I'll close here, I think, just because I want to respect our time. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life, not just life, not just death, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. In the original Hebrews language, the word power is the word hand. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. So your spirit, your spirit, the spirit you, has a hand. It is not these physical hands with these physical fingers, but it is the hand of the tongue. So if you want to take possession of 1 Peter 2.24, how do you take possession of 1 Peter 2.24? 
You don't rip it out of the Bible and put it in your pocket and, well, I'm holding on to 1 Peter 2.24. I got it right here. No, for you to hold on to 1 Peter 2.24, you hold on to it with your mouth, with your tongue, the hand of the tongue. And so the way that you maintain possession, you remember Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive. That word receive means to take with the hand. Believe that you take it. Believe that it is now in your possession. How do I have it in my possession? If I've got it in my mouth, I've got possession of it. Well, I don't see it yet, but just hear what I'm saying. I'm not, I, I, I don't have it because I see it. I have it because I have the word on it. And the word is in my possession. It's in my mouth and in my heart. The word is near me. Where is it? The word is near, near me. Where is it? It's in my mouth and it's in my heart. So if it's in my mouth and it's in my heart, I have possession of it. So I have possession of 1 Peter 2.24 by verbalizing it. When I receive Jesus, I receive Jesus with my words. I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I accept Jesus as the Lord of my life. My words have now received him. I have taken him as my Lord with my words. Why? Because my words are in my spiritual hand taking. Do you see we're not talking about communication? Words create. Words set in order. So with words, I am taking with the hand of my tongue life. I don't want death. <laughs> I'm not going to take that with my tongue. I take it with, my, with the hand of my tongue. And it says, they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And so then we, we develop a taste for words of life. We develop our words so that we are receiving, recognizing that the words that I say are feeding my spirit and I'm eating of them. Amen? So this word abiding in our heart is the goal. We want out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart. So the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to get it in my heart in abundance. And then I'm going to maintain that abundance. Proverbs chapter 4 says, Attend to my words. Verse 20 down through 23. Attend to my words. Incline your ear to hear them. Don't let them depart from in front of your eyes so that they get down in the profound innermost parts of your heart. How do I get it in my heart? I've got it in my eyes. I've got it in my ears. I'm speaking it to get it in my ears, right? I'm speaking it, I'm looking at it, and then it's in my heart. And then he says, uh, for out of your heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart flow the issues of life, the forces of life, the strength of your life. It flows out of your heart. So we've got to get the word until it's abundant in the heart. And then when it's abundant in the heart, it's going to fill my mouth. If a person misses that first step of filling the heart, they're going to be deceived into thinking they're speaking words of faith when they're just feather faith words. 
They're saying the right words, but there's not power in them yet because they haven't put enough fuel in the combustion chambers of their heart to produce that faith. It is, it, it is you just have to do it to recognize it. You just have to get the word in abundance. And when, when, when you reach the abundance, you'll know it. You'll know it. You won't have to say, do my words have faith in them yet? You'll be like, oh my, my words have faith. Amen? Amen. 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 And, and so I challenge you. I challenge you. Let's reach a full measure. Let's reach a fullness. Let's get an abundance of the word in our heart. So that when we do bring the words out, in, out of our mouth, there's power in them. Because too many Christians are deceived into thinking that they're making a faith confession when they're making, they're making, they're saying the right words, but there's not faith in their words yet. Because they haven't taken that first step to get the abundance in their heart. For out of the abundance, the heart speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we don't take that first step, we'll, we'll be deceiving ourselves into thinking we're in faith. And we're saying words, but the words are empty words. It, it, not because God's words are empty, but because we haven't taken the time to meditate on them, to chew on them and get the power of, of God's words into our words. Amen?